and welcome to episode 9 of the official Copper and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining me as my only co-host this week is Shona Hickmore. Unfortunately, Corey was uh, a little bit too busy for us tonight. Sad violin was. I'll yeah. make, you know. We're going to miss his insight. We always love his fancy stat talk that that makes him sound much smarter than us. And like he understands the principles of mathematics. Exactly. And I did do a little bit of math on this podcast, but uh, it's not quite as in-depth as Corey would probably have liked it to be. So the Oilers are coming off quite a busy week. They uh, swept the Jets 2-0 in their two-game series this week, which was pretty positive considering that those two teams are most likely to meet in the first round of the playoffs. And then they had a pretty so-so two-game stretch against the Calgary Flames in which they went 1-1. One and one. The first game was a 3-1 decision, possibly the result of fatigue by the Oilers. They had been playing a lot of games in a short period of time. They did bounce back, though, to beat Calgary 4-1 in Game 2 virtually ending Calgary's playoff chances. They're still not mathematically not eliminated, but they're pretty damn close to it. So yeah, let's start off here. Let's left. talk about that Jet series because it was obviously the more uh, fortunate one for the Oilers. They went 2-0, outscored the Jets by a 9-2 margin. McDavid popping off for seven points in those two games, including a hat-trick in game one. Ryan McLeod made his third-line center debut, and it was just a busy... Uh, busy series. What did you think about that, Shona? I thought that the Jets series was a fairly strong series. Um, I was watching it and I was thinking actually about when Corey talks about how the Jets play a similar style of hockey to the Oilers, but they don't quite have the firepower to, you know, compete with the Oilers, um, especially, I think, as we've noticed, um, kind of like if the Oilers have got firepower for 60 minutes, the Jets don't have the the legs or the firepower to keep up. And I think that's becoming especially noticeable when we start playing series kind of like back to back games or, you know, games with one day off between them. So like, that's a, it's a good thing. I think the Oilers were steady. I think that they had um, a good, uh, good momentum. Um, I'm kind of sad that they shit it all away against the, uh, the flames in that first game. Um, but I mean, schedule is what schedule is. We knew that there were some, you know, what you might call scheduled losses just based on the way it's set up. But it was good to see um, the offense get some things going that weren't necessarily a dry saddle McDavid combination. And it was good to see the defense not, you know, let the Jets score like, you know, because it's one thing if we have like six and the Jets have like five, that's a far less impressive victory. So like the differential of nine to two really, um, I think kind of highlights the difference in, in quality between the clubs right now, right? At least defensively and defensive thing or defensive. Um, if we gave them equal defenses, like Corey would say, the uh, better offense is going to win that match all the time. So I feel much better if we have to play the Jets in the, uh, the, uh, the final or the first round. Yeah, and it wasn't like the the Jets were completely outclassed by the Oilers. I think in both games the Jets came out to a to a quite a a better start than the Oilers. But the difference was Mike Smith in Game One and Miko Koskinen in Game Two. Uh, I especially like Miko Koskinen's performance because it was a tight game all the way through, and he really held the Jets off from making a a third period comeback there. So it was in, it was an interesting to see Koskinen back after I believe three weeks of rest to come in there and play very well against a an offensively-minded Winnipeg Jets team. Yeah, and it, it is good. I mean, the other thing is it's good. It's a good practice for the Oilers' defense to, like, you know, defend. Weird, Weird concept yeah. for them, yeah, you know, like, do they do that? <laughs> but um, I think it was good because, like, we talked about last week, like, all the defensive pairings went in the blender. So, like, it was a good opportunity to see them see kind of, you know, what might work, what might not work long-term, you know, kind of just get a feel for what was happening. Um, those two games, you know, obviously, you know, we have no idea if that'll be what holds, you know, if they play the Jets in the, the playoffs, if it'll, if the configuration of players will look anything like that, but it was, um, it was nice, especially in that first game, like Smith was solid, but like just, 
it seemed like they were having fun playing hockey against the Jets. Yeah, which which and, was a very like stark contrast to the Calgary series. They just looked disinterested. They didn't look like they wanted to be there. It, it was weird, especially coming off two very motivating wins against a playoff rival, a potential playoff rival. Yeah, I don't know, and I don't know where the like. Sometimes you, uh, you're, if you're listening to this, you're an Oilers fan. You often want to shake your hockey team and just be like what are you thinking? Right? Like, <laughs> um, who is driving the bus? Like, well, we I saw Matt talked about that quite a bit on the Twitter um, last week saying, you know, um, about Tippett and the, the combinations for that first Calgary game and saying like, you know, you had a period in somewhere it wasn't working. Why didn't you try something new? Like, why keep going back to the same thing? Right? So, yeah. um, yeah, for sure. I thought it was, it was super strange how we tweaked the roster going into that Calgary Flame series. They come off two dominant wins. Everything's mm-hmm. looking good. Everything's looking like it's in order. And then uh, he takes Caleb Jones out, puts Chris Russell in, and then the, the that bottom pairing gets caved. And I know it's a lot of people. Yeah, are you know, like, we this 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 kind of adds to our uh, our theory that Chris Russell should probably not play, not hockey, play hockey in an Oilers sweater. <laughs> Yeah, it makes no sense. I, I I don't understand what Jones could have done between the 3-1 win against the Jets and the, the beginning of the Calgary game to, to justify not being in the lineup. I thought he and Ethan Bear looked fantastic in that Jets series. And putting a guy like Chris Russell in there, look, he's past his prime. Uh, he's just not a good hockey player anymore. He drags down all of his partners. And on the off chance, Ethan Bear kind of makes up for it, but you can't expect Bear to do that day in and day out, right? Yeah. And I mean, quantify, Chris Russell's no longer a good NHL hockey player. I mean, I Chris Russell's still a very good hockey player. He's just not an NHL level hockey player anymore. And there's no shame in that. But it does kind of leave you scratching your head when you're like, especially, you know, we've got... You, we were talking about before we hit the little red record button, you've got a bunch of games, you know, down the stretch. Why aren't you switching people in and out? So everybody stays rested. So like, are you, are you trying to rest bear or Jones? Jones but yeah. why would you rest Jones? Because you've barely played Jones. Jones has got plenty of rest, you know? So um, it is a little bit of a head scratcher. Um, but I think more of a head scratcher because tip it's been, so consistent on staying with guys that are doing well, like he plays the goalie that's doing well, or he, you know, he, he kept he kept Devin Shore in there as long as he's he has been yeah. right? Over off Tyler a couple Ennis. like of a couple like you know Devin Shore limps along he gets and then he has like a good shift or something and then he limps along for for a while longer right yeah it's is the thing that's annoyed me all year it seems like certain players have a lot more rope than other players like um um i give you like the examples you just gave out um evan bouchard came in and he played pretty well and then he maybe had one or two bad games and all of a sudden he's out of the lineup and he's not ever ever again he won't be an oiler for the rest of the season whereas you have a guy like tyson berry and chris russell who screw up on a pretty regular basis like every second shift if not every shift they make some sort of mistake and they just keep getting deployed in those those uh, premier minutes, especially Barry, which makes no sense to me. It's, and you really would think since both Russell and Barry are veterans, they would be screwing up less than a rookie. Yeah. But, and I think Ethan Bear and Hey, I'll say Caleb Jones too have played fantastic this year. I think they're among our best defensemen. Darnell nurse is having a great season. And I wouldn't say that any of them um, are better than nurse this year, but Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear are pretty close. Oh, but here's the thing is I don't think we would have had this season from nurse if you had Tippett style, because, oh, like, let's let's not kid ourselves. There have been several rough performing seasons from Nurse as he uh, was, like, growing into his game, for yeah, lack of a better absolutely. term. And, you know, what I always don't get is um, we've got Oilers media um, saying, like, oh, well, these guys are done, you know, they've had their shot, like, move on to a different, you know, Jones has had his shot at, I think, 82 games or something, 83 now. Yeah, maybe. These are the same guys who are just like, wait till Nurse plays 350. Yeah, yeah, you got to give Nurse time to develop. And I, I was trying to figure out, because 
slightly analytical, but what's the difference between Nurse and Jones? Is it like where we picked him in the draft? Is it how many it eyes are on? Yeah, you know, is it like first how much caliber, right? How but, much? Well, but that's the thing is like there's plenty of first round um, duds or early too, second right? round busts, and you know as much as it pains me to say this, like, um, and this is one of the reasons that oil Oilers fans hate drafting oil kings. They took Mitch Morales thirty second overall, you know, I think two thousand and twelve, something that like that, right. and couldn't do anything with him right could not do anything with him so just because and you would have thought like like even just from a a business perspective you're like you got to turn this into something because you had i all these eyes on it so you know what do you do or even a better one nal yakupov you know first overall pick and you khl champion nal yakupov by the way KHL champion, but no one will uh, accept a slide, except that slide. Um, not much positive to say about his tenure with the Oilers, yeah. right? So, which I think I think that I've said this before. I think that was less Yakupov's fault and more just oh, brutal coaching. It was so bad. I, how I think they that the organization, him. and I think that they were on their way to doing it with Boyarvi, was ruining him. I think. Oh, that they, they destroyed Yakupov. I think that they ruined many good prospects mm-hmm. yeah um, i don't think anyone would argue that are you us there but like i think if the organization doesn't want to be ruining prospects or you know have that appearance then what this is all coming back to is there needs to be that parity of like um consequences mm-hmm. so if you go out and you're Tyson Berry and you play or Chris Russell and you play an awful game well then you're not the first line you know the same way as if you're a rookie and you go out and you play an absolute shit game on the third line you don't get in the next game you know this is how if this is how they teach rookies responsibility and accountability in the NHL I mean just because they're vets does that mean that I get that they've already supposed to have learned it everyone should be on the same kind of uh, you know, except for maybe McDavid and Drysaddle, because those are your guys. But guys like Barry, no, but guys I, like I would Russell. argue that McDavid and Drysaddle are—they may be your guys, but in a room, they are a part of your team. Exactly. Yeah, I think that accountability should be same for everyone all around. It yeah. makes no sense to ice a lineup based on prior respect from the coach or something like that. I don't. Well, I don't and think it's it a just... good way to handle a lineup from day to day on day to day basis. Or who a coach likes, you know, or yeah. who they've heard good things about. I, I, and I feel like whatever it is, there's something between the, the Vancouver series and the Calgary series this last week Jets. that is on tippet. Like yeah. there are changes there that make no sense to me. They're on tippet. I hope they make sense to him because I feel like they really took a lot of the oomph out of the last two games. Yeah. Right. And um, one of the big things that happened in the flame series, especially is uh, Ryan McLeod actually went from a third line centerman in the jet series and they upgraded him to the second line center uh, alongside Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Jesse Pugliarvi. Well, Leon Dreisel moved up to the top line to reunite that McDry duo. We've seen so much of this season. Yeah, um, well, McLeod but... is a, is a player that I enjoyed over these last few games. A um, little weird that they're putting him in the second line center though. I think um, I think McLeod definitely has the ability to be a second line center, but I find it weird that you're putting him as a second line center to reunite David and Mc, uh, McDavid and Drysaddle after both came off of fairly strong. You know, we might even call them like you know, uh, for McDavid at least, like MVP kind of performances in the Jets series, like. There is no way that you look at the Jets series and you say, oh, we should reunite McDavid yeah, and Dreisaitl. Right. It seemed like a pretty... each of or one or the other of them is really struggling and can't get going. No, they both looked good. McDavid mm. looked phenomenal. You know, Dreisaitl maybe didn't look as good as McDavid, but every, you can't be a, everybody can't be out scoring hat tricks all the time. Let me... Statistically, everybody can't be out scoring hat tricks all the time. If they want to try, go for it, boys. But, you know... Um, so what's the point? Yeah, it's like seems you like had a lines that move. were working, they were producing offense, offensive lines producing offense, three lines deep. 
Mm -hmm. and you shortened it. Why are you shortening the bench in essence? Yeah, yeah, you make, you bring up a good point there because, um, like you said, they they were fantastic against the Jets. They had that one bad game against Calgary, and you know you could chalk that up to fatigue. You can chalk it up to scheduling, but um, sure. why why react that way in the second game? But that's the thing is why like, juggle everything up all of a sudden after one bad game. I'm sorry if I've got more patience for it as a fan sitting at home than your head coach, like. I'm like, it's one bad game. Okay, it's not even two bad games yet. Like, let's see if they rebound, you know? Mm-hmm. No, no, we it's must. Consistency at least, right? We must, you know, you know, we must completely change our forward lines again so nobody knows who they're playing with and maybe they don't have any rhythm with that person. And then, you know, we might have a, here's the thing is like, every time he does this, I feel like he's opening the door to a, a game that is, another really bad game for no other reason not because of schedule not because you're tired just because nobody knows where the fuck their line mates are supposed to be Mm -hmm. other than mcdavid and drysidal you know the top line is great yeah well you know i have some quarrels over that top line too because i don't think yamamoto was particularly the good third guy there i don't know why they took away puliarvi from mcdavid those two obviously have had chemistry all season long have performed really well together and all of a sudden you switch out Yamamoto's done something maybe with caleb Uh, jones and is now being punished obviously i don't get it it doesn't make sense to blender it up or it's just here's another you know maybe he's just literally picking lines out of a hat he did say something along those lines in a in a no, no, but like when you when you hear that you're just like ah, ha, ha, good one tip it and then you look at it and you're like oh did shit you, were you, you serious like did you really pick the lines out of a hat yeah and you know a lot of people will will, will come out come at us and be like well the Oilers won four one two of those were empty nets the Oilers scored their first two goals in the first ten minutes and played like crap for the rest of the game they okay. are lucky to have that game. Look, I, I never said that the Oilers didn't win the game. I would like to point out that I said 3-1 last week, and what did we go? 3-1. Um, <laughs> we're still, like, little optimistic, but we're just we're, – this team could be so much but, better. And, but what I am uh, – like, what you're saying, Preston, is what I am concerned about is that there are opportunities for this team going into the last seven games of its regular season – to start fine-tuning what it needs mm-hmm. to do to be a strong playoff contender. Yeah, exactly. And that is not you. build your lines out of a hat so nobody knows whom they're playing with. Oh, do mm-hmm. you do this? Do you do that? Like, you know, like, it, it, this is not preseason. This is not the first 15 games of the season. This is not getting to know each other right after trade deadline. This is not. This is... We are getting ready to do a serious push to win the Stanley Cup because we keep getting told that this team is actually a contender, even though it seems to be missing pieces. Mm -hmm. Well, then it needs to be acting like it's actually a contender at this point in time. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The consistency issue with Dave Tippett and how he builds his roster is infuriating to a lot of fans, including myself. And yeah, like you said, it just makes no sense to just blender the lines up after one bad game you know when there's probably external issues for that one bad game why just be like okay screw it McLeod's on the second line uh we're moving our wingers around it, it makes no sense and uh, and then I, I get you. I get where you're coming from moving on now um we got some news here of the week uh, coming out today actually on the day of this recording on Sunday the Oilers are on the verge of signing goaltender Ilya Kon- Konovalov from the KHL he was drafted I think about two years ago. And uh, I'm just wondering, do you think he's close to being NHL goaltender? Cause we were talking before this uh, recording about how it would be pretty hard for the Oilers to entice a starting goalie in the KHL to come over to North America and be an AHL starter. Well, maybe not even an AHL starter, right? They have Skinner and they have, uh, Skinner has been fantastic for them in the AHL. So what you're, I just think it makes no sense. You're, your sales, well, either you're the, the most persuasive salesperson in the world to be like, come over and play in the AHL with smaller crowds in the KHL, you know, in your second language that you may not be fluent in, in a culture that you don't know, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh-huh. That is a great sales pitch. 
you either have to throw a ton of money at someone, you know, which you can't do with an AHL contract. You know, the money is in the NHL side generally. Right. So then what are you, what are you offering this, this kid? Yeah. NHL contract. Are you doing a Koskinen again? I think it's an entry level deal. So you can't really get that high money on that deal. He, he is a young goalie at only 22 years old. And the thing that surprised me that he's, he's not even six feet. He's a five eleven goaltender. Um, no, they're not all, you don't all have to be trees. Well, um, you know, we're just used to that. Um, we have uh, Mike Smith. who's like, what, six, five and Miko Koskinen's like six, six or something. Like we have some big, you yeah, know, the Oilers have tall goaltenders right now, but traditionally, you know, um, some of the shorter goaltenders, the, the five, 11, six foot goaltenders have also been phenomenal goaltenders yeah um, absolutely but then here's the thing is if this kid was in the draft two years ago and he's this good where's the team that drafted him mm-hmm. you know why aren't they making an offer oh no we did draft him we did draft him we yeah. are that team yeah we I've are completely that forgotten a goaltender wow yeah, no he was uh picked up by the oilers in 2019 85th overall and uh oh he was an over- oh, oh never mind it was that draft okay yeah um he was an overager in that draft he was passed over the year before and then was it picked up by the others in 2019 yeah no he's no slouch of a goaltender um he's 53 41 and 9 all time in the khl has an average save percentage of 924 over that span and an average goals against average of 2.04 those are pretty good number numbers for a young kid in the khl and um, I know a lot of people will, will compare him to Miko Koskinen, but I think a lot of us forget that Miko Koskinen was playing for SKA St. Petersburg, which I think is known as Putin's team over in the KHL, who's just absolutely stacked every year. Well, uh, Konovala was playing for Lokomotiv Yaroslav, who's kind of like a middling team, who was coached by Craig McTavish, by the way. Yeah, so I, I feel automatically like you need to, to give it a, a bit of time because, quite frankly... Um... I don't need anything Craig McTavish has touched bringing that kind of vibe back because Craig McTavish has not always been a positive contributor to the Oilers. And that last trip through with Craig McTavish definitely wasn't positive, mm-hmm. but um, no, I, I uh, great. If you sign him to an entry level, but if you say to him, he's coming over to play in the AHL, I don't think he's coming over. Yeah right it is it is strange um i wonder like you just said he has a starting position locked up he's got great stats he knows what he's doing in the khl so unless there's some enticement Mm -hmm. and maybe that enticement is just this is the only path you have to the nhl yeah but even in bakersfield the goalie situation is not exactly yeah it's pretty crowded there with Rodriguez coming in and putting up some good numbers as well yeah so do you sign him and hope you've signed him now? Do you hope for the best? You know, it, it like, would be risky if they entered the summer being like kind con, of all of is our backup. That's a, mm, I don't know. Yeah. But that. you know what? I felt like we did equally risk. We did something really risky when we were like Koskinen is our backup He's played two games in the NHL ever. And then, you know, after one mm. season, we were like money, 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 money. Oh boy. You know, Made like two, so, day, two days before Peter Shirley was fired. I'm, I'm sure he did that out of spite. He knew it was coming. Look, like you always tell me that um, goalies are one of the, well, they are, but you call it goalie, goalie voodoo, but goalies are one of the hardest positions to quantify how they're going to turn out. And it's not because of the, um, like some special inherent goalie, you know, positioning. It's because there's so many fewer spots to watch them play at elite mm-hmm. levels. So great. He's elite in the KHL. And we don't know how that translates over. Hopefully, hopefully, mm-hmm. fingers crossed, knock on wood. It, it translates over great for the Oilers. But yeah. I am not even going to, I'm not even going to pretend that this would be the first KHL kid that either hasn't come or has come for a year and gone back to the KHL defenseman summer or whatever summer was here oh, summer Rukov, yeah was here for a bit and i think he's still over in the KHL right now yeah right so um we don't know 
Like, is yeah. it a, is it, it's, it's, it's a, ideally for me anyways, it kind of all of come over here, get some time in the KHL or in the AHL with Bakersfield. And then if the Oilers were like hurting, absolutely hurting for a goaltender next season, near the end of the season or something I'd happened still, to both still, the guys. There, unless he was, unless he was a lights out AHL goaltender, mm-hmm. there's still other there's goalies still I'd pick before him. Right. And there's Rodrigo and there's people who've been in the Oilers system a lot longer, you know, like, worst, like it's, yeah. Worst case scenario, this kid's coming over to not play in the AHL. This kid's coming over to play in the EHL, mm-hmm. ECHL. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's weird. I, I think it, him signing was a given at some point. Uh, the timing is really weird here because the Oilers are going to be entering the summer with uh, just Miko Koskinen at the NHL level. No, you, no, because yeah. they have Stalic for another oh, year. Stalic right? And Stalic as well. So you've got two at the NHL oh. level and two established at the AHL level. Where does so he where fit, are right? you sticking him? Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting. I think maybe his KHL experience maybe trumps Rodrigue a little bit because Rodrigue's just come into the AHL. I guess but you guess that's the other thing you guys see is his KHL experience translates to smaller ice. Because mm-hmm. we've had those goalies come over and they don't all turn out like Vasilevsky, right? Yeah. So does he come over and does he play in the ECHL for a bit while he learns the smaller, what the smaller ice is, what the what the puck does, how the players play, and then make his way up to the or the AHL next season through somewhere, potentially. But that's the other like. I love his KHL numbers. I love that he's a goalie, and I would love for him to do well. I'm too just not sure how, sure here, though, how be... that's happening in the Oilers system right now. That's not at the expense of a prospect that has really done really well in the Oilers system. Yeah. It's I like Stuart Skinner. He has been an excellent goalie in their system. Rodriguez is showing huge potential. Like, do I, I wouldn't elect to smother either one of those to, to, to give, you know, a third goalie prospect a chance either right yeah it, it's encouraging um his numbers are are good he's he has a professional experience and he has sustained like consistency he's he's like i said he had that 924 save pretend or percentage over that 53 41 9 record so it's not like he's uh, a bad goalie at the professional level but it's about hey preston there are no bad goalies it's <laughs> just inconsistent ones. Uh, it, it's interesting. I like the signing. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. I don't know where he's gonna fit next year, but it'll be interesting to see where he winds up. Yeah. The other news of the day was Philip Broberg arriving from Sweden. He was assigned to the taxi squad by the Oilers, and it's another interesting move because uh, Broberg has struggled mightily in Sweden. Um, he was relegated to a seventh defenseman role in the playoffs um, over the past few weeks after being a captain at the World Juniors for Team Sweden. And I believe he was a top defenseman on his team to start the year. So I don't think he gets into the lineup, but uh, the fact that he's on the taxi squad is pretty telling that the Oilers do have plans for him potentially down the stretch here. Well, let's be fair. Broberg is this incarnation of the Oilers management's pick, right? Last year, two years ago. Two years ago. Two years ago, but still, Holland Holland picked right. It wasn't Chiarelli's last it pick. It was an off the board pick at the, at, at the the pick. Yeah, was I remember pick. looking at it and thinking, "What?" Mm-hmm. Actually, that's not what I thought. Anyone who knows me knows that there were a lot more four letter words a lot involved more in expletives that. involved in that. Yeah, um, use use the top row of your uh, keyboard and, and fill some things in for me, but. Um, Again, like for me, I think Broberg should be should not be going to the taxi squad. I think he should be going to the AHL because you already have a perfectly serviceable defender. You aren't playing on the taxi squad, Nevin Bouchard. Exactly. But I think he's going to the taxi squad because there's optics on it, right? So he's a first-round draft pick. He was a first-round draft pick that not everybody agreed with. And, you know, the Oilers made a big deal of his hot start in Sweden. And that might have partly been because they didn't have hockey to talk about in the NHL at that point, but it was all over their social media. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, he kind of dropped off a cliff and so did talking about it, right? Yeah. But um, 
sometimes it's because they just need somebody to succeed for the optics of it. So you can't basically say this guy we drafted off the board that no one was expecting, no one really, you know, no one else really had in that position. He was, he was more like a, I think he, he was like more of a middle, middle. Yeah. He's like 14, round. 15 is where yeah. they had him. Not really eight. top 10. Right. So, yeah. So they can't really be like, yeah. Oops. Oopsie. Looks like he's got super consistency issues and we really needed a defenseman that's good for more than 10 games at a time. Whoops. No, they need to make him look like something. Yeah. It's, it's weird too. Cause he's not a right-handed defenseman. He's a left-handed defenseman and the, the yeah, left-handed side of the Oilers is pretty set in stone. And then you love after, them. after um, Darnell is Darnell nurse. Um, uh, Kulikov, uh, Caleb Jones are my top three there. Um, underneath them, you still got Chris Russell, who, you know, I think Philip Broberg's better than Chris Russell, but that's obviously not the opinion of Dave Tippett and, and management. And then you also have William Legison, who at least has some experience at the NHL level as well. So you have two insurance guys in case of injury, having Broberg there as the third guy, especially after like struggles and reports uh-huh. that he might be dealing with an injury. I think you're right. I think it's more about the optics of it than it is about um, how it will affect the roster. Cause I don't we, see him getting. Yeah. Time. We drafted Lagason late, you know, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of guys in that list. Um, I mean, that you gave me that are the Oilers need better optics on than Broberg, you know? Yeah. Nurses, nurses having a great season. They don't need to work on his optics. You know, Kulikov. Well, that's a thing that's done. And he's been as advertised. He's been, you know, that, that, you know, that's the thing that you read the description on the box and you took it out of the box and it was exactly what it said on the box. Yeah. Um, I didn't have big expectations for him. But Um, then you've got Jones and you've got um, Russell and you can't, even though Jones has been, you know, shift for shift, probably better than Russell. You uh, in my opinion. I'm trying to be diplomatic. Um, you can mark this on your calendar because it doesn't happen very often. Um, you can't even consistently get the better guy in because of optics for the Oilers, you know. Um, and I'd even get those optics if we were trying to shop Chris Russell, but we're not. No. Um, but so I have very little faith that uh, cooler heads will prevail and like. Honest to God, if you really need to get Bouchard or Broberg started again, like he had a horrible end to a season, you need to get his confidence back up. Why are you not sending him where he'll play? Hold on, what's that thing he does? Oh, he plays hockey. Send mm. him to the AHL where he can do that. And, and, and you're not throwing him to the wolves at the NHL level either, right? His confidence oh, is probably already down. His, his confidence even... is already down after a poor start. And then you bring him to the NHL, potentially play him against NHL opponents where he has a lot greater chance to get caved in defensively than he would at the AHL level. It I don't just care about that. Mainly because if there. they do that, I'm just going to laugh, Preston. And then you'll get to a podcast after they do that. And you'll just, you'll have a question about it. And it'll just be like a minute of me cackling. Um, <laughs> but no, like Corey said this, Dan, that Corey's not available to like say this for us again, but you you need to let the prospects, especially the ones you actually want to develop well, play hockey. So having them sit on a taxi squad when you have no intention of playing them is just ridiculous. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's going to be strange to see how they work this out down the stretch. Um, we're going to be talking about the stretch coming up just after these messages. All right, and we're back. We ended off that last segment talking about Philip Broberg arriving to the Empton Oilers. We're now going to be talking about the rest of the Oilers' season. The Oilers have seven games left in the regular season. Five of those come against the Vancouver Canucks, while two more games are against the Montreal Canadiens. The next four games, it's going to be like a little mini playoff series against the Vancouver Canucks. We haven't played the Canucks in quite a while. I believe the last time we played them, we lost 2-1. to one. That was like back in March or something. That was a different Canucks. That was a different Canucks They hadn't Canucks had team. COVID yet. They hadn't been through trade deadline. Like, you know, yeah, So <laughs> they're different now. What are we thinking about this? Um, the Oilers are one point away from clinching a playoff spot, if my math is correct. The only team outside of the playoffs that can catch the Oilers are the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, an overtime loss would, would really get the Oilers into the playoffs here. Um, 
what, what are we thinking about this? Five against Montreal, two or five against Vancouver, two against Montreal. I think those five against Vancouver are going to be pretty boring if the Oilers get that clinch. Um, the two against Montreal should be good tune-ups for the playoffs, though. I honestly think it'll depend. Because um, Oilers management have been really always the – I never quite know what they're going to do. Um, we've had years where, you know, they clinch and then they kind of coast, which is what you're talking about here, Preston. And then we have years where they clinch and then they're like, no, we want to get all the points we can possibly get, you know, and you're just like, you know, that they don't really mean a lot. Like we're not jockeying for position anymore, really. Um, but I think that, you know, it would be good for the Oilers to rest players I think it would be good for the Oilers to, against the Canucks, get some lines stabilized, like whatever you want to take into the playoffs, I think. Use this opportunity, you know, the first couple games at the very least, where you're still, you know, working on making sure that your your points total is, is respectable and, and, you know, you may not get booted out of the second spot so easy because that'll be the other thing that they need to do is not only do they need to clinch, but they also, it would be not as, not as much as in normal playoff years, but it would be nice if the Oilers can hold on to the second, um, second, like, what am I trying to say here, Preston? Second seed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Instead of the third seed, either way they're playing, they'd be playing the Jets. The only way they don't play the Jets, if the Jets continue their implosion and the Canadians just go on a tear as well. I don't see that happening as well either though. But um, so like, you know, do or play those first few games against Vancouver, two or three of them, maybe it might take up to, to, to get your, to get your team set for the, uh, the um, don't play. Like once you clinch, you don't need to play 110%, but still play solid games. Yeah. You know, um, don't just be like, ah, we're going to mail it in and you can pick it up at the post office in three to five business days, mm-hmm. you know? Well, we've Give seen it. this in the past by the Oilers, right? Just as early as, as last year, um, they they were the heavy favorites going into that Chicago series. They they took their opponent too too easily, and then they lost it because of that. They didn't take it seriously enough, and I worry that the Oilers are in that position again because they have dominated the Winnipeg Jets of late. I think they have like four four or five straight wins against them. You know, you got to play some good hockey. The Jets are not going to be that bad come playoff time they're going to want it there's going to be motivation you got to play corey good will, hockey heading into this postseason corey will tell you that no team is you know as bad as they appear mm-hmm. no hockey team is as bad as they appear um yeah so the jets but that's the thing is like the oilers i didn't say the oilers needed to play bad hockey but i don't yeah. think they need to play foot on their gas like burn themselves out hockey i think what they need to do is work on playing god People are going to be like, this woman, she only harps on consistency. But that's what I want. I want consistent hockey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you do not have to score 15 or, or, or not 15, but, you know, like it doesn't have to be a 6-1 victory. Start to refine parts of your game, game. So when you get them into the playoffs, you already know what to do. Start to set your lines yeah. so you, your guys know what to expect. McDavid is playing with Pujarvi and this person. Or yeah, have the, the dry sidle is playing with Nugent Hopkins and Pooley Yarby. Not uh, you're playing with this person, but potentially I will blend you into three new lines by the time we get to the playoffs. Yeah, that that would be a recipe for disaster if, if Dave David does take that line blending into the first few games of the playoffs. It would just be a recipe for disaster. Um, you mentioned it a little bit here. Um, lots of debate over on Oilers Twitter about whether the Oilers should sit their big guns in guys like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I know a lot of people are really excited at the prospect of McDavid getting 100 points. And while I'm also excited about that, you have to think about this. The, Connor McDavid is going to win the scoring title. He's going to win the Hart Trophy. He's a lock for both awards. Um, he's had a wonderful season. Any way you slice it, he could not get another point for the rest of the year. He'd have a fantastic season. But if even if he gets a little bit closer to 100 points but gets injured and then he's out the first round, that's an absolute disaster for the Oilers. That's probably enough to get them eliminated in quick order. So you got to weigh well, the, the pros I mean, and the, cons The argument, here. of course, the, the counter-argument, Preston, is we have no evidence that McDavid is going to get injured, right? 
um, would it would it behoove the Oilers? Yes, there's my fancy pants word for the day. Um, to rest McDavid, rest Drysaddel for some of those games in the last um, seven. Sure, you know, um, are they trying to make it exciting for fans in this, you know, push for a hundred points? Hundred percent. Like um, I think of it like. Um, I just finished school. So this will be a good analogy. Preston, you're still in school. There is essentially when I, from when I went to school at the UFC, there is no difference between an A and an A plus, but somehow, some way, what everyone wants to do is like, you know, the, the 95, 96, that generally gets to be an A or the 99, that gets to be an A plus, you know, no difference on your, your JPA. But you just, you want that extra like thing at the end, like the extra bonus. Yes. And you know, um, I think that that's what this hundred points is for a lot of people. Like, will they be heartbroken? You know, does it negatively impact the Oilers season? No, you know, he doesn't get a hundred points, but it's the shiny like trophy at, you know, for me, the equivalent of my, like looking at it and being like, that was an A plus. Yeah, plus. absolutely. I, I, I think right? I understand people's uh, desire to see him get a hundred points. I'm in that boat. That'd be awesome. A hundred points in 56 know, games. You're, you're, That's insane. You're, you are in that boat with a um, life jacket strapped to yourself in case you have to bail out to protect Connor McDavid. Yeah. That's, That's you're kind of just like sitting in that boat, you know, sitting on your hands, you know, checking to make sure your life vest still works because you're like, guys, guys, remember that we have to protect Connor McDavid because we need him for the first round of the playoffs. So really, if we don't get to hundred, it's okay. As long as we have playoffs, <laughs> McDavid. And then there's other people in the boat with you that are like 100, 100. Right. So I think that, um, yeah, I understand the, the desire to, I really do understand that desire to have this, or to see Connor McDavid succeed in that way, to have this other validation that truly he is the best hockey player playing the game right now by far. And I agree with you, Preston. I don't think it's worth, um, you don't think it's worth him getting hurt. I don't think it's worth him going into the playoffs tired. I think you sit him for the last couple of games, you know, if you're on 99 points or not, unless Connor McDavid says, I want to play. Yeah. Right. And I understand like when we were, uh, you know, you would play him when we were going to be eliminated or, you know, or there were home games because people came to see him. Yeah. But let's be honest. You can't have people in your home games anyway. And as long as you don't horrendously fuck up, you're going to the playoffs. So hundred points are great, but be smart. Let your guys get rest. Like look, look what three weeks rest did to go for Koskinen. <laughs> three weeks of rest made Koskinen into a fantastic goalie. Um, but, so who's yeah. to say that I won't do the same for Connor McDavid? Well, he doesn't need three weeks, but you know, a couple <laughs> days. I don't think he'll get three weeks. Uh, we're going we're gonna to stick on Connor McDavid just for a tiny bit more because uh, as everyone around the Oilers and who follows the Oilers found out, uh, Connor McDavid played his 400th NHL game against the Calgary Flames in that th- uh, 4-1 victory. Um, he finished that 400 game with 556 points. That's two ahead of Sidney Crosby at the same point. Uh, Eric Lindros is right above him with 563 and holding the all-time record for most points in your first 400 games. It's of course Wayne Gretzky with 935. Yeah, you were allowed to. You were halfway allowed to kill people when Gretzky was playing. Don't talk to me. Yeah, so um, <laughs> McDavid's 372 points uh, behind Gretzky at this time, but you yeah, know, and Gretzky's. Defenders were still allowed to murder people, so don't. Well, you know what? It's it's McDavid dropping the ball. He should have had a thousand points by the time. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, he, yeah. The, the game of hockey smart. definitely hasn't evolved and tightened up. Definitely not at all. Not. not at all. So I, I want to talk about some of my favorite moments of Connor McDavid through his first four hundred uh, uh, games. I have two moments. I have an in-person moment and I have an overall moment. So the the in-person moment that I think was the most impressive by Connor McDavid was uh, those four goals against Tampa Bay back in 2018. I think all four of them were highlight reels. And Tampa Bay, back in 2018, they're still a really good team. They didn't win the cup like they did in 2020, but they're a damn good team with a lot of good players. So to see McDavid do that in person, probably one of the the highlights of my life. Um, Overall, I think the best moment that made me feel just good inside 
was uh, him scoring that uh, playoff goal against the Anaheim Ducks where he did that sharp turn and, and beat Gibson over the glove. I think that was just yeah. one, of the, the, one of the first big, like, holy shit, McDavid is really, really good at hockey moments and it came in the playoffs. So I think that was a, another right. moment I, I cherish. What is it? I well, I was there for there's that game against Dallas where he does the between the legs and up and in. I was in the audience for that. That was pretty nifty. Um, I think I was cheering for Dallas though, so less nifty for me. Were we tanking? <laughs> um, and then the other one, I just overall, um, we, I've said this before. Like I like Connor McDavid's dog. His dog is gorgeously fluffy. I would like to pet his dog. I could take or leave Connor McDavid, but I would like to pet his dog. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I may be one of the few people at Edmonton. It's like oh, Connor McDavid. He's, he's a really great hockey player, but really all I want to do is pet his dog. <laughs> so I don't, there's a, I don't think you're the only person. I think there's oh, a lot. Well, I'm definitely in the, uh, the minority of Edmonton. Yeah, you know, I would I would freak out if I just saw Car McDavid across West Ed Mall or something. I, uh, I don't think I would freak out um, just because I would be like, no, just leave him alone. Just leave him oh, alone. Oh, yeah, I would he's do that a, too. Um, that, it's probably but that's bad the thing it's like because um, it's, it's bad for me though because i i want to be a sports journalist so if i freak yeah. out at every hockey player i talk to that might be a problem i should probably not do that well he is a special hockey player and all he that is. nonsense but I, I just think um we've covered this before i'm a social worker i just think it's got to be a giant like for kids yeah i would think you know um but like I always empathize. Like, do you necessarily want to, while you're buying your groceries, have like 15 people come up and ask you for things? Yeah. No, I think that's got to be super tiresome. So I, hey, I'm always I, like, you know what? I had the chance to, um, to bitch out uh, Bob Nicholson, Craig McTavish, and Kevin Lowe at a first round. They were there were a few tables away from me. It crossed my mind that I could let them know how I feel, but I didn't do it, and I kind of regret that. I wish I'd kind of just said something. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, <laughs> I think that it's way more. Um, I always just try to be. That uh, sounds so stupid, but um, you know they teach you in, in kindergarten to be nice to other people, to be kind. And you sit here and you listen to me, and I'm a complete and utter bitch about <laughs> Dave Tippett. We're, but there's still ways. Bitter, but there's still funny. ways to be like Dave Tippett. I think you're, you know, have a conversation with Tippett. I don't like the way that you coach. You know, I don't understand what you're doing. Um, and for hockey players, I just feel like, you know what, if they're open to and inviting, you know, that kind of contact, that's one thing. But if they're just trying to go around their daily life, that's another yeah so that's, that's a no, good i will never um i will never run up to Connor mcdavid with his dog and be like can i pet your dog if he's just walking his dog but if he's surrounded by a bunch of kids getting autographs i might be like hey can i pet the dog while you sign all this shit <laughs> <laughs> right well you know that that depends on the situation we've probably drawn this one out this segment a little too long but uh, you can cut it in the edit <laughs> if no nah, i'm not gonna edit this this is good content this is good <laughs> content um, if I saw Connor McDavid walking his dog on the street here in Edmonton, and let's say I was walking my dog, I don't have a dog, I have a cat. Let's say I was walking my cat. Let's say I trained <laughs> Good my luck cat with that. And I was walking my cat down the street here in Edmonton, and Connor McDavid was like walking by me. I would stop and not acknowledge that he was Connor McDavid and just ask to pet the dog. I think I could get away with it then without being rude. Um, not while you're walking a cat, because walking a cat, the cat is going to start hissing. Well, in this hypothetical but, situation, that's definitely realistic. The dog and the cat get along very well. Well, I mean, I used to live up where Kevin Lowe's house used to be. And I think there was one day he was running by with his dog and I wanted to go like pet the dog. And my sister grabbed me. She's like, no, 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 no asking Kevin Lowe to uh, pet his dog. I wanted to pet his dog, right? Like, well, legitimately, I had no earthly clue who he was, and that, like, he's you know, had down whatever it was, fall or winter, early winter, and I was just like, I don't know who this is, but he's got a cute looking dog. I want to pet, you know. Well, that so, should be uh, taken as a warning to Connor McDavid and uh, Yessi Puliarvi that if you see Shona on the streets, 
They're not coming after you. They're coming after your dog. Yeah, she's not, she doesn't. She doesn't care about you. You're very <laughs> nice human beings, I'm sure. But may I please pet your dog? <laughs> All right. So we're coming to the end of this episode of the Copper and Blue podcast, and as we do at the end of every podcast, we predict how the Oilers will do. Now, usually, how this goes is me and Corey just say the Oilers are going to go 100% all wins. And this week, that would mean 4-0-0 against the Vancouver Canucks. But because Corey's not here and Shona usually takes the realistic route, I think I will also take the realistic route. So you go first while I mull over what I want the Oilers, what I think the Oilers could do this week. So I think, um, realistically, um, what I hope is the Oilers go 2-1-1. So two wins, one loss, and one either shootout, you know, or overtime win would be great so you know in essence win three times lose one but you can give the Canucks a point in one of them okay <laughs> okay that's fair see what I was gonna say was two one one no and two one and one as well but I'm gonna go three one and oh and that's I fair too that's that was the other real realistic option yeah I just feel like by the end of the uh the four game stretch both teams are going to be fatigued not just fatigued of like playing hockey, but fatigued of seeing each other. Like... <laughs> I think we'll just have the, the edge in a, a fatigued battle between the Vancouver Canucks. And... So do I. It's just like, I think there'll be those, when there'll be that moment where it's like, you open the door and you're like, you again? Oh, I God, yeah. I just saw you. I just, I just saw you. <laughs> I feel like we've, we had that with Toronto earlier in the season when we had those three losses. It's like, oh, God, just go away. Yeah, pretty much. I think by the end of this set with the Canucks, it'll be like, Again? No, 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 we just saw them. And then we have a, a little bit of a break, and then we have another game against them. Five games against the Canucks in the last remaining seven games. Oh, my God, we're going to be so tired of the better Vancouver COVID Canucks. protocols. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Copper and Blue Podcast. I hope you enjoyed us talking about Euler dogs and what we would do if we would see them, and we'll At talk them. to you next week. There are no bad doggos, just like there are no bad goalies. <laughs>